and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. This past Labor Day was different than most. No big backyard barbecues or pool parties, no parades for candidates, and no back-to-school shopping, by and large. The truth is, too many of us don't stop and think about the history of Labor Day and the real meaning of Labor Day. The fact is that Pennsylvania is where the organized labor movement began in our country. It was those workers that not only built Pennsylvania, but they built our nation. And in turn, that won World War II and defined America's place in the world. I firmly believe that. But, you know, I find too many people, too often, they look backward rather than forward when it comes to any discussion about the role of unions in America. And their incredible organizing power and what it means to be a member in every sense of the word of a brotherhood and sisterhood throughout the year, not just around election season. Well, we're going to focus on elections, and today we're joined by Paul Anthony. Paul's the business manager of IBEW Local 375. Now, they've been, since 1914, an integral part of the economy in and around Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley. And to be clear, I think many of our listeners know what IBEW stands for, but the acronym is the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I'm particularly grateful for their work helping to revitalize the downtown of Allentown, uh, the south side of Bethlehem. And I encourage each of our listeners to visit and really see the renaissance that's happened there, due in large part to the men and women of organized labor. I'm looking forward to his perspective on the role his brothers and sisters played in the lead up to November and how labor organizing, especially around election season, has changed. So, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to my kitchen table. Throughout his long public career, Joe's always been one of IBEW's closest and most reliable friends. And by the way, the first labor union to endorse him as a young 29-year-old running for U.S. Senate was the IBEW. Paul Anthony, welcome to my kitchen table. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Paul, I want to go back in the time machine. It probably seems like a long time ago to April of 2019 when there was a lot, a lot of speculation whether or not then Vice President Biden was going to get into the race And everyone thought that it could very well happen with several hundred, if not, uh, I think over a thousand of your brothers in in that hotel ballroom. So tell us what it was like to be there with IBEW brothers and sisters from across the country and uh, the anticipation that Joe Biden might make a pretty big announcement from that stage. First of all, like you said, it's it's a nationwide conference, this constructive maintenance conference down in D.C., and it, it's everybody from the United States is there, all the representatives for the IBW. It's just an awesome experience to be there, just among all the brothers and sisters. And then when we heard about uh, Joe Biden coming to speak with us, we know he's a great friend of labor. You know, there's anticipation that he'd be announcing his candidacy. It was right before he announced it, maybe two weeks out. So it was, it was just a great feeling when he comes on the stage. 
Lonnie Stevenson, our international president, is a, is a great personal friend of the president's, President Biden, now we can say. And, you know, we, we kind of we were hoping that, uh, you know, something would happen, but it was, it was just a fantastic atmosphere to be in. And just tell, tell our listeners a, a little about, about you. You're the business manager of IBW Local 375. Tell us a little about the local. Um, how does one become a business manager? What's a, what's a typical week when you're not in the, uh, you know, in the trenches of a yeah. presidential campaign? How does one become a business manager? Um, good fortune sometimes. Good luck. Timing. Um, I'm an elected position. I don't want to tell you my whole history, but I started an apprenticeship back in mid-80s. I became a journeyman wireman, just working in the field. Then after a while, I started interested in teaching. I started teaching night school. We teach our apprentices at night. So I started teaching that. And then I really enjoyed the education part about that, you know, just taking apprentices and forming them. And then um, there was an opening at my hall for a training director, full-time training director. And it was the first time ever we went to a full-time training director. Then I was chosen for that position. And I served in there for about four years. So I was working out of the hall. And there was an election coming up for business manager, and um, it was just fortunate timing, a lot of luck and fortunate timing that I won that election. That was back in uh, 2013, and I've been reelected now uh, two other times. So it, it's a strange path for some kid that was some kind of jock and knucklehead in high school, right? And you look at your career, and they talk about career path. It wasn't the career path I thought it'd be on when I was an apprentice, but it's just been an awesome journey for me. And were you, uh, you're born and raised in the Lehigh Valley? Yeah. So I always say I'm a Bethlehem kid, born and raised in Bethlehem, uh, married my neighborhood sweetheart uh, from high school, been married a long time, but yeah, we still live in Bethlehem. I got to ask you, are you Freedom or Liberty High School? Freedom. Okay. All right. Yeah. My kids went to Liberty, but uh, my wife and I went to Freedom. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hey, I mean, looking at uh, the city of Bethlehem, looking at the Lehigh Valley over the years, Certainly, the the last uh, nine years that you've been the business manager, but you know, going back to your high school uh, uh, career, being a jock to use your term, <laughs> it's changed quite a bit. And uh, the role of organized labor uh, in the valley's economy and in the Commonwealth's economy has changed. Yeah. Can you maybe share with our listeners, reflect a bit on that? So you know, even even growing up as a kid, I I grew up near Bethlehem Steel. I was a West Side you know kid from West Side of Bethlehem, grew up near the Steel and. Grandfather, uncles, everybody's somebody had family that worked there. And, you know, I have a grandfather and uncles that are electricians down there. And um, just the industry there, we you always kind of assume it'd be there. You know, there's a lot of industry in our area. But as Bethlehem Steel shut down, you know, we went through a long period of that, uh, you know, we're going to say parcel, whatever, just rusting out. And then finally, somebody had a vision to come in, you know, put a casino in there. Casino really developed that whole area down there. It, it's continuing on down there. But as, as over time, a lot of our industry left. Even when I was an apprentice, um, the company I worked for, we did a lot of industrial work. And that's not there anymore. You know, we kind of turned more to light manufacturing, warehousing. You know, people talk about meds and eds, the hospitals and the education going on here and, and the colleges, the way they've expanded in the hospitals. So we're more, more, more into that now. But we're also the warehousing, and a lot of people just might think of a big box warehouse, but it's really not a big box warehouse, all of them. There's some like manufacturing, light manufacturing that goes on in there, which really for electricians, that's awesome because we also we do the corn shell, but then we also do the fit out for the tenant, which is obviously, you know, heavy electrical work. You know, Joe Biden, uh, I should say President Biden now, he has a, yeah. a, a great line, and I think many of our listeners believe in it. If they don't, they, uh, I'm going to editorialize and they should, but 
you know, it was the unions that built the middle class and it was the middle class that built America. I was reminded of that uh, when you were sharing, when you Mm -hmm. take a look back. Uh, So give us a sense of the footprint and the composition of your brothers and sisters with Local 375, both geographic Mm -hmm. and then age, demographic. Yeah, I'm starting to, um, (laughs) yeah, years ago, I would have been to have a different perspective that, you know, um, I kind of, you know, I'm 60, you know, starting to get there towards that end. And when I was an apprentice, I couldn't imagine being involved in the trade when I was 60 years old, but it happened. So for us, uh, our youngest apprentice is 18 years old. And our oldest journeyman right now, he might be early 70s. He, he enjoys working, physically able to, and um, you know, he enjoys that. Now for us, you know, if you're looking for a typical apprentice or journeyman, there really isn't one because we'll take somebody right out of tech. We have college graduates that you know, got their four-year degree, but there wasn't something they wanted to do. They want to be more hands-on. So we we really cover a wide spectrum of people in the Valley. So let me ask you, uh, you know, we're obviously going to do a deep dive into what happened uh, after Joe mm-hmm. Biden announced and uh, then as we made our way into uh, the trenches of 2020. But mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, being uh, active in the union means so much. I know you guys uh, have community service arm. Uh, it's really a family affair. If you could speak to... Uh, uh, kind of what a typical week is uh, pre-pandemic, uh, pre-election. For me, <laughs> I don't know if you want for me or there really is no typical work for me. Um, so every, every every week's a new adventure, eh? It is, and that that's the awesome part of it. You know, uh, you know, if pre-pandemic, you said I've been doing a podcast. I'm like, hey, I never even do a podcast. You know, we'd be meeting in person, right? But but I, I think that's just part of it is just changing with the times, whether it's technology. With our electricians, technology, trying to adapt to that, to new technologies of doing Zoom meetings and podcasts, not meeting in person. That's just a typical week for me, just being adaptable. And my understanding also, your brothers and sisters on average are making about $11 more per hour than uh, than, than non-union electricians. If you could uh, speak to that as well, I think Laura listeners yeah, not- are very interested. Sure. I, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the dollar disparity, you know, $11, I'll go with that. But for us, it's your health care. You know, we, for our health care plan, we're uh, self-insured, yeah, meaning that we use uh, somebody's platform, but we actually pay the bills out of our fund. You know, typically somebody else that might be non-union, they'll get a deduction out of their paycheck. Well, this is not a deduction out of your paycheck. It's a benefit. So you add that into it. Also, our retirement. We're uh, defined contributions, so a, a nice portion goes into your defined contribution plan, which a lot of the non-unions, they may just have some kind of small 401k if they have anything. So it's always not about the dollar amount that goes in the envelope. It's also the benefits on top of that. Let's pivot to politics, which is the, <coughs> the bulk of um, uh, folks, our listeners, when they think of unions, they think of politics, but it is so much more. But how do you instill this kind of ethos and this appreciation uh, for the role that our elected officials play in really defining kitchen table issues uh, for mm. your brothers and sisters. I guess where I'm coming from, Paul, too many elections, half of our country doesn't even vote. Right. I think if you were to stop a lot of folks on the streets of Allentown, they couldn't name, you know, maybe one of their elected officials, mm-hmm. but they, you know, uh, uh, starting at the president and then they'd have trouble mm-hmm. working their way down. So how do you, how do you build across your brothers and sisters of all ages, that kind of awareness that it is, it's important, but it's uh, on so many levels to be involved in the political process. Just part of like teaching, I think, is um, part of his education and just constantly talking about politics and the way it affects the individual, 
whether it's at the national level, state or local, what really uh, resounds with our people or, or might play a bigger part is when we talk about local politics and what happens locally with them and affecting their job. They, they do understand the national, but obviously um, there's polarization there, which, you know, we're, we're not uh, united on the national level, but local we are united on that because somebody can see the direct effect of having a local politician understand the labor issues. And that's a much easier um, item to talk about. But every union meeting, every opportunity we talk to apprentices, we always talk about not so much politics, but the policies in place that affect them. So it's, you know, in the, the past four years, we kind of got away from the politics side because obviously it's polarized and we talk about more policy and the direct effect it had on, on the individual themselves. Well, hold that thought. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of polarization uh, before mm-hmm. the election, uh, even now after the election. But maybe let's let's tease this out, what you mean on the local. You had referenced the revitalization uh, that's happened on the south side of Bethlehem it, and the warehouses, I think you referenced mm-hmm. as you make your way down I-78. Should our listeners interpret that as kind of rising tides lift all boats? If there's county government and municipal government that's thinking about the economy and the future of the economy, labor wants a seat at the table, or what were you? Mm-hmm. Right. To? It's a tagline, right? The rising tide, all boats. You know, you get that. But a lot of our politicians um, at the local level understand middle class wages, the benefits of getting uh, local people on those projects, also. And we really uh, have been working with our friends on trying to employ local people. You know, if you live here in the Valley, we want you to work on the Valley projects, not bring somebody in out of state. They come in here. They don't spend their money here. They actually just leave. And that's it. It's we want the local people just to be involved in these projects. And a lot, a lot of the politicians that are local understand that and also stand the wages and benefits that come along with that. And, you know, our, our guys, um, we're, we're going to spend the money here in the Valley. Right. You know, we're not, uh, you know, have uh, uh, what you want to call it. I, I, you know, I, I won't say that, but they, they just, they'll spend their money. You know, we're, we're savers, obviously, but we're, st- we're still going to spend our money here in the Valley. So I, I know a lot of listeners, a lot of folks uh, are familiar with IBW Local 98 out of Philly, um, but it just, just demarcate, I mean, the, 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 the geographic boundaries, how do they mm-hmm. sync up as you look at the, the Commonwealth uh, of different levels? Yeah. Right. So, so basically 370, my area, uh, I cover like all Lehigh County, a little bit of uh, Bucks County down into uh, Berks County, some Northampton, all of Carbon County. I, I go, I mean, geographically, I go down to Sellersville, 98 North butts up against that. Yeah. I mean, what you just mentioned, we're talking uh, by and large purple counties, some mm. much more on the red scale. And you alluded earlier to uh, the partisanship now, you came on board as business manager in 2013. So did you right. see this in, in 2014 with the rise of the Tea Party or 2016 with President Trump's first election? Uh, or was this really uh, yeah, something that w- was brand new that, that, that you and your leadership had to uh, address? Yeah, I don't think it was so much the Tea Party, but I, I did notice in, in 2016 that members, uh, obviously, I have a large, not a large, but, uh, you know, percentage of people that are registered Republicans in the local and all the trades have that back in 16, it was opinionated, but it wasn't as divisive, I guess. And, um, 
you know, not that all my registered Republicans vote Republican, uh, you know, same thing, Democrats, but it, it wasn't as polarized, I guess, that we, we could actually talk about policies and politics back four years ago. They might not have liked what I had to say or we didn't agree, but we could at least talk about it. Now, you know, four years later, with this past election, you couldn't even talk about it. And that's why we kind of just because you just get tuned out and you get into an argument. And obviously, when you start arguing, nothing constructive comes out of that. So that's why we would just try to focus on policy more than talking about the individual or the party. Let's talk about policy. Uh, some of your brothers and sisters in organized labor were quite focused on the USMCA, uh, dare I call it NAFTA 2.0. Uh, I don't know yeah. if the electrical workers had much of a stake uh, in that, but what what were some of the the more heated uh, policy discussions? What were some of the policy discussions that across the local uh, your brothers and sisters agreed on, <laughs> if know, any? Uh, so, so yeah, I, I'll speak at like like a local level. You know, nationally, obviously with NAFTA, the IBW had a position on that. You know, my uh, some guys in my local are you know um, they love the anti-immigrant policies, right? You know, let's build that wall. You know, the migrant, you know, people are people out of the country are gonna be stealing my jobs. You know, that was pounded into them and, and they wholeheartedly believe that. But on the electrical side, we don't see that too much. But as long as you keep pounding that message, you know, if we can keep people out of this country, then my job's protected. So that was one of the big policies that um we we'd have a discussion on. So with I mean, with that in mind, you know, we're in swing county, swing region of swing state, you know, ground zero, yep. in other words, how, you know, and, and for good measure, a global pandemic hits, how do you start organizing like-minded brothers and sisters to, was it labor walks? Was it phone banking? Was it more uh, indirect and virtual? How, how do you start getting folks to realize that their vote matters and a Biden-Harris ticket uh, is what's going to to use the term again. Yeah, well, well, like you said, though, the pandemic was tough even for us to get together as a group. You know, we still have union meetings, but much smaller. You know, we just conduct business. You know, guys will come in a few minutes before the meeting. Once the meeting's over, everybody leaves the building. It's not like we can congregate and talk anymore. You know, um, we just take care of the official business. Phone banking is away, but that's that's impersonal too. So this past year was kind of tough. You know, we we put out the obligatory newsletter, you know, and endorsements, uh, obviously, but uh, hopefully they're read. But, th- you know, th- this year was actually tough, though, trying to reach people. Now, we have a good relationship with our, our members itself that we can just make phone calls and not like a, a phone call with an agenda, just a phone call to catch up. How you doing? And, and it kind of just evolves into different things. And obviously, we'll talk about some type of politics or policy in there. So but it has been a tough year for outreach. And even for candidates, you know, going out door to door, you know, that didn't happen too much this year. Well, what did happen, and uh, I'm, I'm really eager as we wind <laughs> down, and I think our listeners will appreciate reflecting on, um, you all had a visit from Doug Emhoff, who I guess now we're calling the second gentleman <laughs> in the in the, the final hours of, uh, of that whirlwind of an election. So if you could speak to uh, what's it like, you know, to have someone of that prominence visit the yeah. Union Hall and uh, uh, to host him. Hours before it was, it was, um, it was a call out of the blue. Uh, actually, one of our local state reps had a connection and asked if the hall was available. Of course, the hall's available, right? And we, we held it outside uh, in our parking lot. It, it, was, it was an exciting time, you know, from the Secret Service coming in, you know, clearing the building in the parking lot and just posting up out there to 
you know, everybody getting here, obviously, you know, it was, um, it wasn't, uh, attendance was kind of limited in our parking lot because we were, we have a large parking lot, but everybody's still spaced out. Um, it wasn't like the normal crowd where you're shoulder to shoulder, but it, it, it was, it was a great day. It was, a, it was a great day for the Democratic Party, but it was also a great day for labor. And at 375, it was, um, you know, and there, there were some uh, people here from the uh, the other party. You know, they were out there in, in the street. And, um, you know, it, um, there was some back and forth going with them. But after everything cleared out, there was, uh, I went out, and we have a fence here, and I went out on the other side of the fence. Everybody was gone, and the guy was still there talking to somebody else. And he and I just had a conversation. And he was the most vocal guy during this uh, rally. And I just went out and started talking to him about issues. And, and really, he, he just he just has a different view. But we, we actually had a conversation and just not yelling at each other. And it, it was kind of enlightening that there are people maybe on the other side of my fence that we can talk to and have a conversation. Now, we, we agreed on a few things, but not many things, but at least you could talk with them. So. So the excitement of it was with Doug being here and then all, all everything that happens into that. But then also the connection was made afterwards, just talking to an individual. That's really powerful. You know, I think that, that that's something that the <laughs> listeners of our podcast need to uh, take away, that in a state mm-hmm. as purple as Pennsylvania and a region as purple as the Lehigh Valley, yeah. old fashioned face to face conversations, not shouting matches, not mm-hmm. anonymous tweets. Uh, uh, they make right. they make a difference. So final question, I mean, what what other uh, uh, highlights as you look back at such a historical election? You know, as we said, I mean, you were so unique in that you were there on the eve of President Biden's announcement. And, you know, uh, listeners should remember that IBEW was the first union back in the 70s to endorse then Senate candidate uh, Joe Biden. But as you reflect back, I mean, what's your main takeaway um, of this election? Yeah, for me, it was exciting. that well, maybe not at the time it wasn't exciting, but IBW was the, the first trade union to come out to endorse, you know, Joe Biden in his election. The international took some heat for that for jumping on so early, but that obviously was the right choice. You know, uh, President Biden is, is a union guy; he understands us, our issues, and you know we deeply appreciate that. Uh, a, a lot of things that he's done since then, really that maybe most people won't realize, but like I do, it's the labor secretary he just appointed. You know, it's a union guy that's in charge of labor, right? And yeah, I don't know how many years it's been since we had a union card-carrying member representing labor as a labor secretary. Just as things like that, that the appointments that I, I truly, truly appreciate and look forward to for the next four years. Hey, Paul, I look forward to uh, the next four years as well. I really appreciate you taking the time. When we meet next to my kitchen table over a pint or two, we'll try to have that Boston accent that Secretary Walsh has, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that for a later later time. All Thanks right. so much. Thank you, Ari. It was a yep. pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.